This episode originally aired on February 25th, 2022 on the Unethical Patreon. Our clients for today are Christy and Bo Jansen from Unethical Podcast. Go check that out. Richard, we've literally been here for three fucking seconds and you're already being racist. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we had the same thought on that. (laughs) Bo being racist? What kind of a fucking snowflake place am I at? Look, I'm, 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 look, I'm happy for us to give you another case, but you can't be hassling me for money, mate. Yeah, no, we don't need money anymore. Oh. We, we actually, Abigail fucking hooked us up, actually. I kind of feel we, bad. Hang on, hang on. Yeah. Hang on. Wasn't she done for drugs? Where, where did that money come from? That was yeah, your Bo's money. Not that, was, up. that was all your, your kids' funds and stuff. It's fine. It's gone now. But I mean, our, we're paid up for rent for a year. We got our lawyer on retainer. Apparently, we're going to need it. I'm sorry I even hassled you guys for money. You know, I just, you see a big wad of cash and then you know where the wad of cash is. And I'm sorry, I, I, I was weak. Yeah, I'm really disappointed in you, actually. But you've let me down. You've let Canada down. You've let private dicks down. Okay, you know what? You know what? We'll do this case pro bono, right, boys? Come on. We'll do this pro bono for the girls. Um, I mean, I, I won't bring up the paycheck discussion again, but uh, we've been doing every case pro bono. So, yeah, why not? <laughs> why not change it up? Yeah. Hey, man. <laughs> hey, man. Checks in the mail. Checks in the mail. Checks in the mail. I mean, I, I, I see you all the time, but okay. Yeah, no, put it in the mail for no reason. You want us to do oh. something for you? Let's do it. What, what, are, we, what are we solving? Oh, well... Australia has lots of unsolved cases because we generally, you know, if it's not easy to solve, we generally just can't be fucked. That's so. not true. That's not true. There's just a lot of bush to try and get through. So there's like, we don't have the manpower <laughs> to be able to try and scrape through all the red dirt. But this one's on the beach, so. Well, we're a lot of beach. We're an island. All right. Why did you come here today? What the fuck do you guys want us to fucking solve? There's a dead guy on the beach and no one knows anything about him. Finn. Go. Thin? Thin. Oh, thin. Sorry, I don't understand Australian. You guys are speaking well, Australian, French. apparently. So. <laughs> well, Finn is French, so. Oh, I thought you were saying the guy was that. down on the beach and he had a fin in him. So okay. there's a dead. <laughs> I thought his name was Finn. <laughs> so we so covered all the bases. We're all, yeah, yeah, all over the place. <laughs> we're we're oh. killing this mystery already. So there's a dead guy on a beach. You want me to figure out who he is? Well, okay. Cool. I think I already, uh, I have a dead guy on a beach in Australia. I'm going to assume this is the one you guys want me to solve. I already have it figured out. We just have to bang out a few details here, boys. You think we can take care of the girls here? An elite team of private detectives. What if balloons are aliens? Maybe that's the key component we're missing. Cover-ups. John's guilty. Mysteries that need to be solved. Maybe Mormons need mountains. Richard, shut up. So, yes, so we're in 1948, November 30th, nice evening, warm evening on uh, Somerton Park Beach, which is in Adelaide, South Australia. John Lyons and his wife, about seven o'clock at night, are going for a walk, okay? They see a, a man dressed in a suit, brand new shoes that look freshly mirror polished, laying on the beach with his head up against the side of the, the, the retaining wall or whatever it's called. They thought it was weird because he was wearing a fucking suit on the beach. Uh, so they remembered him. They kept walking past. The guy was like raising his arm awkwardly when he was laying there. 
and he would like let it fall. And they thought like John Lyons just thought this guy here is just trying to have a drunken cigarette. Let's let him sleep it off. Weird. <laughs> All right. Later on that same night, other people saw this drunk guy laying in the same spot, but he was motionless. Uh, most people thought he was drinking and just sleeping one off. The couple that witnessed the sleeping man later on, it was like 10 o'clock that night. So it was like three hours later. They said that he didn't react to the mosquitoes, which was weird because the mosquitoes apparently bad uh, on the beach like that. So they said he must be dead to the world. Spoiler alert, yeah. he probably was. <laughs> There's other reports later on too that people say they saw some guy carrying some man around the same time on the beach. But it was later on in the night, so I don't know how much I believe that one, but still. they saw. There's three witnesses to this thing at night, okay? The morning after this fucking night where they saw these guys, December 1st, 1948, around 6.30 in the morning, police were called because the overly dressed man uh, everyone thought was just sleeping off was, in fact, fucking dead. Two people were on an early morning horse ride at 6 in the morning, and they found <laughs> the guy dead after passing him the second time. So the first time they went by, they're like, that's weird. Second time, they're like, that guy didn't move. That's fucked. But they like didn't I do said, anything till the third time. Because we yeah. just, we mind our own fucking business down here, That's man. True. Like if there's, a, if there's a man sleeping on the beach, we're just like, whatever. In a full three-piece suit, let's just let him sleep. I, I agree. <laughs> like The man's back uh, was in the sand and his head and shoulder was propped up against the seawall with the Somerton crippled children's home overlooking the whole affair from across the street. I do Aww. like how there is a crippled children's home right there. Why do they call it that once? Like, anyway. Bullshit. <laughs> it wouldn't be called that anymore. Oh, it's still called that to this day. Well, <laughs> oh, maybe on. I'm wrong. Maybe hang I'm on. wrong. 1968. That's that's what that's pretty fucked up, Australia. Because uh, out here in the Hi. U.S., we don't give those crippled kids a home. All right, they're on their own. <laughs> when we're talking about Somerton, it like you oh say South Australia, like where? Because you guys got a lot of South going on there. So where in? It's 11 kilometers, 6.8 me- uh, 6.8 miles away from Adelaide. Miles? Oh. So like kind of down by that little hump on the bottom, like the outwardness. No, yeah, look, it'd have to- you're just saying not even real geography things. You're just saying the hump at the bottom. Oh, I'm sorry. Me, a verified cartographer. Let me just. <laughs> South Australia goes like this. Like the little yeah, peninsula down- part. Yeah, it'd have to be down there because it's on the beach, man. So as far that, as I'm aware, there's beaches on every side of Australia. Yes, there is. Yes. So this here is South Australia, the yellow. Okay. Christy and I are right down here on the blue down this bit just up here. Right. Okay. Adelaide is in uh, in and around this bit here that you're the humpy bit that you were talking about, which is yeah. the technical the technical term for it is humpy bit. Um, <laughs> this whole bit here is called the Great Australian Bite because it looks like something has taken a bite of it. <clears throat> we name things that they sound and look like, <clears throat> but it's in this state here on one of these beaches in the yellow. Then all here is where all the affluence is and effluence actually all of it is on the east and that's the <laughs> Northern territory. So where we're looking is somewhere in that yellow area where it kind of gets like. Down crab here leggy. Yeah. yeah. Yes. All right. And just, just so everyone heard, you guys live in the blue area, so that's a good alibi as your lawyers stick to that. Good. Oh 1948, God. Christy was only 17, so. <laughs> she's old! She's so old! I don't think she'd be there killing people. She's too young. It was before my time, Richard. I know, I'm just bugging you. Only just. I wasn't coming into my my serial killer 
Jesus' face at that time. <laughs> so the man's feet were extended and crossed, and he had an unlit yet half-smoked cigarette on the right collar of his coat. He wore no hat, which was weird for the time, apparently. He had a white shirt, red and blue tie, brown pants, socks, and those freshly polished dress shoes. There's lots of photos of this guy out there. If you want to go look, they took a lot of pictures. There's shit tons. Check it out. He wore, his suit was an American tailored suit, double-breasted jacket, which was odd for the time because you couldn't get that in Australia. You'd have to either know someone who went to America or went to America yourself. You'd have to get it from America. Maybe Europe, you could get it somewhere, but not in Australia. He was very, he was clean shaven. Uh, within his pockets, there was no ID at all, no wallet, nothing. Uh, the fact that he had no, no ID at all made the police originally believe this was a suicide, which I find backwards. Like the fact he has no ID, you figure if you're committing suicide, you'd want people to find you. You know what I mean? Like, why would you hide your identity if you're killing yourself? But anyways, he had nothing, no signs of injury at all. He just looked like a guy who kind of passed out, went to bed on the beach and died. <laughs> In his pockets, he had an unused ticket from Adelaide to the beach, a pack of chewing gum, some matches, a U.S.-made aluminum comb, and a pack of Army Club cigarettes containing seven cigarettes of another more expensive brand called Kensitas? Kensitas? I don't know. None of the man's clothes had any of their labels on them. He'd rip them out physically, like cut out every label on each piece of his clothing. Hang on. How do you know he hated it? Somebody did it. Thank you. Sorry. One of his pant pockets was repaired with a uh, really odd orange thread, colored thread. The man was brought to the Royal Adelaide Hospital three hours later, where Dr. John Bennett put his time of death at no earlier than 2 a.m. So when that guy was passing out at 10, when they thought they saw him, he was probably still alive, actually. He would have been pissed off to be woken up. <clears throat> if he. Yeah, I'm sure in 1948, they really had the time down to a T. <laughs> i don't know maybe when do you think they invented clocks no i meant the figuring out when he died based he's on his 1948 body. he's just gazing at a sundial like <laughs> me no no yeah i don't know they, they said the cause of death was most likely heart failure but john bennett miss dr bennett also suspected poisoning uh, an autopsy was carried out by pathologist John Dwyer, Dr. Dwyer. Uh, Dwyer assessed that the man's body wasn't moved after he died. Um, he, so he died in the position he was found. The man's stomach contents revealed the remains of a, the man's last meal, which was a pasty, which they call a pasty. Is that a thing in Australia? Because I'm assuming Fucking they meant pasty, right? What's a pasty? What's a pasty? It's, like it's like a vegetable. So it's like a pastry it's filled like, with vegetable. Yeah, and like a cheesy sauce sometimes. Boy, you guys, you ruin things in the most creative ways. <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with a pasty? And what's that called? Like a pasty? Past- pasty. Pasty. So is pasty like a group? <laughs> is that like a group of different kinds of these things? Or is it like no? a very no. specific? It's just one. No, but I mean, it's very specific fillings. Like, or could it be different kinds of no, things? No, are... it doesn't matter what's in it. As long as it's vegetable and cheese, then it's a pasty. Huh. Okay. Well, I assume that meant pastry and uh, Australians just don't forget there are. They said, fuck the are, right? <laughs> Always. <laughs> it seems Always. like it does. It does mean that, but just with like a horrible it's surprise. A inside. Like I'm just, <laughs> I'm just picturing like it's a just... red velvet cupcake with mashed broccoli in the middle. Like, got ya. <laughs> 
dude. It's a throwback from our our convict times. It's actually called a Cornish pasty. It's from England. Yeah. Oh, okay. So prison pallets, all of you. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Killer. Pa- say it again. Pasty. Pasty. Pa- yeah. Pasty. Pasty. Yeah, pasty. Why do you sound weird saying it? It's just a pasty. Why does he sound weird saying it? It's just pasty. It's, to me, it's paste, pasty, like a pasty, no, not, not a pasty. pasty are those things that go on your nipples. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the same beer. Yeah, yeah, that's the same beer. A pasty yeah. of these. Woo! Yeah. But a pasty. Yeah, but I bet theirs are oh, fucked up and then, then like underneath the pasties and the tits is like, I don't know, cauliflower or something. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, but uh, they say that Pasty was eaten three or four hours before his death. Uh, also, why does it sound so weird? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. Okay, I tried my best. It's the last time I mentioned the fucking gross food you guys eat. I think. Also, in his stomach was just a lot of blood. With a lot of blood like that, it suggests poisoning. He also had an oversized spleen after the autopsy, which also suggests poisoning. But they couldn't find any actual trace of poison in the unknown man. That's what they call him. Had he pissed himself? No. Wait, why? Is that is that a sign of poisoning? No, just a death. Like, oh. it, could it have excreted from his body? I thought, I thought you knew some shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Someone talks about poisoning, like, just... well, did he piss himself? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. She knows all the poisons. <laughs> it's not unusual to see a Australian man passed out on the beach who's pissed himself so there you go <laughs> it, particularly in our in our state we had someone who was on the on the news a couple of uh, mid last year who they thought had died because he was faced down in the mud but he was just so drunk that no one could wake him up so the ambulance came down and removed him from the mud and put him into the ambulance and then put him so he could sober up gave him some fluids but he was alive everyone just thought he'd died so the opposite of this situation they're like oh he's oh. dead pulled him out of the mud oh no wait he's still alive he's just so pissed he can't he can't function. Mm. That's you gotta love evolution. <laughs> Back in 1948, that guy would have died. Yeah, for sure. He'd be dead. <laughs> sure. Yeah, Dr. Dwyer was convinced he was murdered by poisoning or at least suicide by poisoning. While the autopsy was being conducted, the police had already exhausted all leads trying to figure out who this man was. They were hoping the autopsy would reveal more. All the autopsy really did, though, was at, get more questions, provide more questions for everyone. No cause of death was determined. It was labeled as heart failure. The autopsy also gave the approximate age of 40 to 45. They also said that the guy looked European, which I find like, wouldn't that be like, racist? I don't know. I guess it's racist, but I mean, like, is there a, a different look that a British guy has versus like an Australian? I don't know. Is that a thing? I Australians look more like criminals because of years and years of criminal tendencies. That's true. Oh, you're so funny. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) No, Richard, I think they mean European as in like. No, they legit say British. That's why it says European, specifically British. Yeah, they say it looks like a British man. Did Um, they check his teeth? That is the way. Did they probably, that's probably where, that's probably how they figured out. And his his anus. Oh, and his anus. And yeah. his anus. What is it? What a what a British do they have like star-shaped anuses or something? <laughs> that's something I didn't know. Like, Don't we all? Not anymore. Not after the what? surgery. <laughs> it's probably, anyways, I probably just don't understand that because I'm like live in the middle of nowhere and know nothing. No, yeah, I could you can there is a yeah. 
look, it's probably not, it's probably a bit more pronounced back then, but you can definitely like, yeah, I'd say you could say someone's look, looks like they're from yeah. the UK. Ever, ever since Australian people evolved a fifth digit on each finger in 1953, it was <laughs> harder to tell, but yeah, back then. And, um, and straight yeah. teeth. And straight teeth. Yes. Still trying to, we're still trying to get rid of our 11th toe. Yeah. <laughs> it's vestigial, but it just won't go. Yeah, <laughs> our Jew claws. They definitely looked in this mouth, though. You'll see why in a second. I forgot about this. So, yeah, the the dead guy, the unknown man, was in great shape for his age. His calf muscles were specifically mentioned multiple times, like in all the articles I read. Like this guy had huge calves. Like, oh my, okay, uh, like athlete's legs, I guess. All right, weird, weird flex. But this is why they kind of say it a lot. I think is because his toes were also oddly wedge shaped. So, so he's a mer person. No, what they think is that the, the guy who embalmed him is a taxidermist, which I find hilarious. Is that what you guys do in Australia? Just get the taxidermist to embalm people? If the funeral homes, you know, if the funeral homes not open, you've got to get someone to. Do yeah, it. but taxidermists are usually creepy guys that sit in their basement with dead rats. They're just like, get the dead rat guy. <laughs> that is profiling. Unacceptable. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm done. I'm doing it. I don't care. Um. <laughs> that no that that honestly is fascinating because like embalming and tax those are two totally different that's procedures. what i mean it's like, not the same thing like one of them you like drain the liquids out of a corpse the other you're stretching skin over like a foam build of a thing <laughs> i don't see how the skills translate that's wild maybe i'm not a taxidermist so i can't say <laughs> i can't say with with all faith we we're very resourceful if, it, if it's sort of in the same vein, we can do it. I mean, that's something that would happen in the South here. So use every piece of the buffalo. Well, we don't have buffalo. Do we? <laughs> his feet are wedge shaped, nice, big, fat legs. So that the taxidermist guy's name is Paul uh, Lawson. He when he was giving evidence at a later inquiry, he just said that uh, at the inquest, he, he just said that the guy's toes and shape this to his assumption that the man must have had a habit of wearing high heeled and pointed shoes. Ah, oh, so he was a drag queen. No, well, weren't high heels invented for men in- originally? Probably. Mm-hmm. I think that's I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know about 1948 being the time for that. <laughs> that's about like, it's like a century off, I think, from when. But I, 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 I yeah. like that he makes this assumption because it just proves Australians are like, that's the first thing he went with because it could be a lot of other things. Like he could have been a ballet dancer. That was another thing they were saying. He could have been like a dancer. That's why his toes were jammed into fucking. Yeah. And all dancers have, dancers have really sick calves. He also could have been in the military because they were all standard issued boots. So you had to force your way into the smaller pairs when they were making them in mass back in the day. Also 1948, you have the Persian war. You were, you were a little too ready for that excuse. It's almost as if people have asked you, Hey, Richard, why are your calves so nice? And your toes so wedged? <laughs> and you're like, definitely not high heels. I was in the military. It's because of my ballet past. Oh, you're talking to him. Oh, okay. Oh no. I, I meant, I meant to say Rick. The problem with the military theory is, is that his hands were like beautifully non callous no manual labor they're beautifully immaculate pieces of work they weren't worked down to the core he wasn't in manual labor at all he had like an oh, office job or something he's 100 like a drag queen yeah but i mean not everybody 100%. who's working with the military in 1948 is doing 
manual labor. Yeah, he could have been a captain or he could have been in the mess hall. He could have. Yeah, that's true. I, I just don't think I don't think that's true, but it could be. You're right. I just don't think he's in the military. The CIA was founded in 1947, so he also could have just been a spy, but they used a lot of army issued gear at the time. Except for he was in a free, like a free piece American suit, wasn't he? Yes. So there's a, there's a lot of weird shit going on here, right? So here it gets even weirder. He took his fingerprints, distributed them all through Australia and eventually the rest of like the English speaking world. No one, not one uh, fingerprint ID'd anywhere, which isn't super odd because I don't think my fingerprints are in any database. Like I don't probably couldn't find me oh, through my fingerprints. But if he was in a military guy, they would have found his fingerprints, right? Mm. Dental records, also nothing, nowhere. Wait, you're saying if he was a military guy that they would have found his records? If they had fingerprints, they would have found out he was a military guy. Not if he was a spy. Yeah, it's Cold War time. He could be a spy for sure. That's part of this whole thing for sure. Yeah, so on the 10th, 10 days after the body was found, uh, Adelaide hires the taxidermist guy to embalm the mystery man to preserve the body to eventually potentially solve the mystery. After a month of dead-end leads on January 14th, 1949, a suitcase was found stored at the Adelaide train station where the mystery man bought the train ticket to the beach from Adelaide. It was checked in at the train station November 30th, the day before, the guy, the day they found him drunk at about 11 o'clock noon. The suitcase is thought to be the mystery man. There's no guarantee, but there's a lot of good reasons why it is this guy's. So inside the suitcase, there's a bunch of clothes with all the labels ripped out again. Okay. Except for three pieces, I think it's three or two pieces of clothing that had the name or the words, or it's not, it could maybe not be a name, but it said T Keen on them, like T K E A N. On one piece, but on another piece, it said K-E-A-N-E. So it had Keen twice, but two different spellings. And that's it for any time clothes. Mm. It's like someone, mom writing on your underwear. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's weird how there's two different spellings of it too. There was also in the suitcase, there was some, that orange thread that they found that was uh, fixed the guy's pocket. And the orange thread was not, you couldn't get that in Australia either. That was another thing from America or Europe, the orange thread. So that, that was weird. Everyone's like, holy fuck, we found this. During this time too is when they, right after this, they started an inquiry into this man's death. Cause like, what the fuck is going on here? And when they did the, they started the inquiry, they started re-examining the evidence again, just to make sure they didn't miss anything. And the entire case was looked over by a guy named, Thomas Erks, Erskine Cleland. Jesus fucking Christ. You guys make the simplest. Just call him John Franklin, like easy names. <laughs> no, we take up all of our easy names okay. for everything else around us. Cleland looked into poisons to see if there were any that wouldn't have a trace hours after being administered. This is where professor of pharmacology at the University of Adelaide, Cedric Stanton Hicks comes in. He testified at the inquiry that two different easily attainable poisons that wouldn't leave any trace. He called them poison one and poison two because he didn't want to say them out loud to the inquiry so he could give anybody hints on how to easily kill people. Uh, Hicks would, however, write the, <laughs> he would write the names down of the poisons and give it to Cleland to do some more investigating. I find that funny. The two the names of the drugs are Digitalis and Obane. Obane. Either of those drugs were administered seven hours more before. Before the body was found, there'd be no trace in their system. And it would make it look like there was heart failure and there'd be enlarged spleen, bleeding in the stomach. But these are very hard. Like they're easily attainable if you work in a medical industry kind of thing. They wouldn't be really easily attainable to the general public, but like a doctor or a nurse or someone who worked at a hospital could like steal them to make them. 
the witnesses that saw the man drunkenly lighting the smoke could have just been the last death convulsions of the man. That's what this guy, this doctor said. It could be just him just jibbing his arm up, which, okay. After re-examination of the body uh, in years later, digitalis is what experts think killed the, the unknown man. All the evidence now that we know how to look back at evidence, it looks like he died from digitalis. Uh, the more interesting piece of evidence that Cleland found was that the fob pocket on the Summerton's man's trousers had been sewn shut. You know that little extra pocket that no one uses, that little one? that It was sewn shut with that orange um, thread. And that's how they kind of knew that this guy's, that was the guy's bag, right? The orange thread matched. Now, inside the sewn pocket was a tightly wrapped up scrap of paper with the typed out Persian phrase, Temum Shud on one side and nothing on the other side. Tamem shud is a Persian phrase meaning it ended or it finished. Uh, the phrase is from a specific oh. rare New Zealand version of a book found on the last page of the Rubiat of Omar Khayyam. The Persian book of poems was first translated in English in 1860 by Edward Fitzgerald. Now, I only put that in here because I I found a fun fact while I was reading about this first originally translated copy of the Rubiat. It was rebinded and bejeweled in 1911 and sold at auction for about 60,000 American dollars in today money. <laughs> so they put like a wood binding and jewels encrusted it. And it was like considered uh, the most uh, extravagant rebinding of a book of all time. It, that copy was being shipped back to Europe on the Titanic. And it's now on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean with the rest of the fucking unsinkable ship. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thousand precious gems. <laughs> Still just sitting there waiting for James Cameron to go take it. Now, the theme of the Rubiat is that one should live life to its fullest. Let's recap real quick. So in his fob pocket, sewn in the pants with orange thread was a Persian phrase that means it is finished. What the fuck is going on here? I don't know. Uh, the inquest the inquest didn't really do anything but add more questions, just like the autopsy did the same thing. Like, So they really didn't really know what to ask or do after this. So <clears throat> police decided they were going to bury the guy embalmed and if they ever have to go back they will but they took a plaster cast of his man's bust just so they wouldn't have to dig him up all the time and instead of taking showing everyone pictures they could show a 3d representation of the dead man with a cast oh. i've never heard of anybody doing this before with mysteries before just taking a cast of someone's head never heard of that wow oh their head i thought you said their bust yeah he did well, their bust is but, there from here up past their head. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was stuff that happens below the head. You would. No, when you see like, like those statues that are from here up, it's called a bust of someone. They buried this guy at the West Terrence Cemetery in Adelaide. The plot was on high ground and was chosen, uh, was chosen to better preserve the body from the water and the elements. They also encased it in concrete to keep the critters out. Uh, this is how much they wanted to save this guy. High ground with concrete. Jesus, fuck. Jesus. Yeah. They even gave him a tombstone. With what on it? Here lies the unknown man who was found on Somerton Beach, 1st December, 1948. 
Did they bedazzle the tombstone too? <laughs> yeah, that would... <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> the detective work in the case was convinced he could find the book that the scrap of paper was ripped out of, like the actual physical book that it was ripped out of, not just what book it came from. So in an effort to find the exact book, they released an image of the scrap paper to the general public and media outlets. And then on July 23rd, the book, was found by a gel glenelg glenelg is that the word glenelg found by a glenelg man and and no one really knows who the guy is because the detective who was leading the initial investigation detective sergeant lean would let witnesses use pseudonyms in exchange for them talking so nobody could ever figure out who this fucking guy was ever again but his pseudonym was ronald francis now, Ronald Francis claimed that in December, around the same time the body of the Summerton man was found, he went for a ride with his brother-in-law in a car he parks near the beach. I don't know why he parks the car near the beach. So they found the book in the back seat. His brother-in-law found it laying in the back floor in the back seat. Neither of them really knew what the significance of the book was. They just looked at it and assumed each other had thrown it there. You know what I mean? Oh, it must be his. Oh, it must be his. But then when they saw the scrap of paper and saying the book, they went, holy fuck, that's the thing. And they looked at it and lo and behold, it had the exact same size scrap of paper ripped out of the back of the book. And it fit perfectly for where it was left off. Wow. It's normal to park near the beach, by the way. Just park your car by the beach. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I thought I'd park mine in my <laughs> house so I could drive to the beach. <laughs> That's what I would do, but I don't know. I'm not Australian. <laughs> like I, I walked my ass to my car. A lot like there's like just off the top of my head, if we parked at the beach, we could be doing one of the bush tracks. We could be um, camping. We could be going for a hike. Like it all is very normal that the same place that you park to go to the beach is the same place you park to start a trail or anything coppers look at this book they find that the piece of paper actually fits and they found a few interesting clues in the book he found an unlisted phone number penciled in at the rear cover and there was also a bunch of letters in random order which kind of looked like a code of some sort written on the back cover spy let's talk about the phone number first after further investigation which i assume is just calling the fucking number it was found to belong to a young nurse who lived near somerton beach Jessica Ellen Thompson, or Joe, was a single mom with a kid named Robin. And until 2010, Joe Thompson, Jessica Joe, was also known just by her pseudonym, Justin, because nobody wanted to give up their names back then, apparently. Uh, <laughs> her daughter actually her daughter actually gave up her name. She'd already been dead for three years by the time they had figured out who exactly she was. Like the media, like the police obviously knew. But other people looking into this found out her name three years after she was already dead. So when the cops asked her about the book, why her phone number was in the back of it, she told the police that, yes, she did have a copy of the book, but she gave away her copy to a book to a guy named Alfred Boxall. So the cops were like, perfect. Boxall's our man. Let's go find Boxall. Let's go investigate. Maybe Boxall's the guy, right? Unfortunately, Boxall's alive and well. Boxall doesn't even remember meeting jessica he just remembers a young girl giving him the book and 
Also, when they go, Boxel still pulls out his copy of the Rubiat, and he says, I still got it, and it's still in pristine condition. There's no rips out or anything. So this girl got her phone number in a book she didn't give away, but the one she gave away was with someone else. Are we still following? What the fuck? What the fuck? Okay, we're following. (laughs) Good. Uh, And they know it's the book Jessica gave them. Two, like Boxall's book is je- the one Jessica gave him because the inscription on the back still says Jessica's name. It's it's literally the one. It has to be the one. It's not even the same edition as the one that would had paper ripped out of it. And it had rhinestones on the back that said fancy bitch. <laughs> it was bejeweled. Yeah, so I, I find this a little bit intriguing that Jessica Thompson gives one rare book to a different guy, but her phone number is in the back of the mystery man's book. I random. Um that being said, when they find a box still still alive, the investigators go back over to Jessica Thompson and go like, hey, he's still good. Do you know anybody else? Because your phone number's in this. But what they do is they bring them the cast of the Summerton man's head. Uh, is this your man? <laughs> is this the guy that you have seen or is this the man that you gave a book to slash may or may not have put your number in his book of the same rare book that you gave to another man named Boxall so is this him see this cast of him exactly Uh, (laughs) exactly and when she saw it she acted very oddly and she almost fainted but then she (gasps) yeah and then she denied knowing him what fuck off yeah she's like I don't know that fucking guy I, not liar I, I agree with you liar for sure for sure bullshit but she saw the cast the uh everyone remarked how she almost fainted and denied it so that that lead was dead because if she's not talking they can't really prove anything they just know that her names her phone numbers in a book right um i i just think the australian police were being lazy a little bit on this they could have probably pressed her a little bit more she almost faints they go well that's good they probably could have gotten something out of her but yeah, yeah, we'll never know because her name was Justin until 2010. But there's something to that. I, we'll we'll move on past that. Let's talk about the 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 random letters, which may or may not be a code. Uh, at the back of the book, uh, and you can find this on the internet if you want. I'm going to describe it pretty good here. But there's five lines, mm. all capital letters. Um, they were faint impressions, but after Detective Lean put uh, the back of the book under ultraviolet light, it revealed the following. Like I said, you can go to the internet pictures there hang on yep let's i'll i'll even like throw it in the group later on when we get to this like i looked at this for a long time and i was like i have fucking no clue i'm trying to do substitute i have no fuck i'm not a code breaker you know i just looked at it it looked fucked it up for i looked at it for a while and i can't make hide or hair of it you guys see it you did you guys look it up Mm. a little wonky right um it potentially could not be a code i doubt it it's probably a code looks like a fucking code but it's an undecodable code the only reason i say that is because it was given to the australian code breaker whatever the fuck they were like navy it was like navy code breakers and they couldn't figure it out they said there's not enough letters in the code to find a pattern to be able to like decipher it so it's too short to be deciphered so they really got nowhere with that with the australian navy they probably should have given it to like a better navy wow rude 
right. They're going off the assumption that this was a code that the Australian Navy had any access to. Like if it's in Persian or some other language. For sure. Yeah. A replacement code like that could be like, you need a book. If you don't know what the book is, you can't do the code breaking, right? Or you need the cipher of some sort. So without enough information, it's hard to figure it out. Yeah. Do we know more about this Al- Alfred uh, Boxel? Do we know we about will. Like, we... we will. Okay. When, when they got nowhere with that, they just released the cipher to the press just to see if maybe someone could Zodiac this shit and figure out the code. Uh, still nothing even to this day. The final report of the autopsy and investigation into the Summerton man was released in 1958, which is like 10 years later. The report concluded with this haunting and kind of scary sentence. I am unable to say who the the deceased was. I'm unable to say how he died or what the cause of death is. (laughs) Let's get into it. Let's let's sink our fucking mitts into this one. Since this was treated like a suicide or like heart attack or whatever. At first, the cops didn't really do a good job investigating during the first couple hours of the death. So we have to do their job for them, like usual, guys. So yeah, that's the that's basically the story. And then there's the theories start popping up from here. This isn't really a theory. This is kind of like, I guess it's a theory because nobody really knows. But uh, Jessica Thompson knows something. It's not really the full theory yet. I just have to put yeah. it out there. I think she knows something. 100%. Yeah. She almost passed out from seeing the mold, right? So, like, right there, you know she knows this fucking Mm -hmm. guy. Absolutely. And the cops, the police thought this too, but they went really nowhere. Um, So, in 1995, uh, University of Adelaide professor Derek Abbott first heard the case. He spent years campaigning to exhume the body of the unknown man so they could run his DNA and put a pin on this case. He right away, so in 1995, he's like, we can figure this out. We just need this guy's DNA. And in the 40s, they didn't really take any samples because DNA wasn't a thing. After looking at the mold of the unknown man's face, Derek Abbott got obsessed with this case. He he was the one who figured out who Justin was before the public released it. He figured it out like in the 90s or I guess mid 2000s. She was already dead. So it must have been 2007 or past because she died in 2007. Once he found out who Jessica Joe was. He wanted to find her, but he couldn't. She was already dead. So he wanted to go find her son, Robin, that I mentioned too. She had a kid. Robin had been a ba- ballet dancer in the Australian ballet company. Mm. Something about thighs and high heels and some shit like that from earlier. Unfortunately, <laughs> when he went to look for Robin, Robin was also dead. So Abbott went further down the line and found Jessica's granddaughter and Robin's daughter, Rachel Egan. Just as a quick side note. I want you guys to know this because I found this disgusting and weird. Maybe not disgusting, but just weird as fuck. Derek Abbott, uh, the guy who's looking into this now, he, when he met the daughter, they fell in love and they got married. They're married now. Three kids, everything. They literally, over top of their kid's bedroom door, they have a painted picture of the Somerton man. They call him Mr. S. The kids call him Mr. S. (laughs) As if he's part of the family. That's weird. That's weird. Yeah. Before I get yeah. too ahead of myself, uh, I just wanted you guys to know they're married. It's weird. It's like the first time love has actually come from one of these mysteries, though. So it's kind of nice at the same time. Okay. If you say so. Yes. So before I get too, too ahead of myself, Abbott thinks that the Somerton man was Robin's father. Jessica was smashing this guy and made the little baby that they saw when the police went to go investigate. So this is why he's looking into all this. Um, <clears throat> this would make him married to the granddaughter of the person he's obsessed with. So kind of weird. He started to examine photos of Robin when he was a kid and noticed a few similarities between the little boy Robin and the unknown man. First off, 
Robin had no incisor teeth, incisor, incisor teeth, which is a genetic trait. That's not everybody doesn't miss their incisors, which also the Somerton man who didn't have incisors, incisors. I don't want to say that. So they both didn't have the same teeth. The same teeth were missing a genetic trait. Also, Robin and the unknown man had a weird genetic ear shape thing, too. Where the upper hollow was smaller than the than the lower hollow, yeah. Which on, only... so <laughs> wait, 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 yeah. wait. They had fucked up teeth and weird ass ears. Yeah, weird genetic mutation ears. Where like the top hollow of the ear is bigger than the smaller or the bottom hollow or reverse, and that's only two percent chance of that happening in white men, apparently. <laughs> yep. So they just combining those two genetic things. Oh my God, his ear is fucking weird looking. It is weird looking, eh? Wow. To have both those genetic abnormalities, both of them, the two same ones is super rare. It's like one, one in 10 million chance of that happening. You're on the money. Yeah, Jessica was also single at that time. So, And Robin was about a year old when the body was found on the beach. So could this be Jessica Thompson's baby daddy? The plaster bust of the unknown man, there was... Uh, hairs in the actual bust itself that they assumed belonged to the unknown man. Abbott, being the, the guy that he is, he got these hairs sent off for analysis in 2017. All that you get from that, I don't understand why you can't get a full DNA profile from this. I don't get it. All they got was that the family was from Europe. Like the, the unknown man's family was European. But like, we already knew that. Maybe didn't get the like maybe hair follicles himself. I don't understand. I don't get why you can't get a full thing. I thought hair was damning, but you couldn't. I I thought that you had to have the follicle to have the most concrete. It could be like I just don't get it. I'm not. But I'm also not a forensic psychologist. Exactly. So they they kept trying to get this body exhumed, uh, so they could get actual DNA from the body itself, right? So in 2021, they actually got the body exhumed. Uh, 2021 last year last year yeah march 2021 they got the body exhumed yeah Yeah, it's kind of bullshit because uh private dicks was first on the list but we're we're getting there (laughs) we'll exhume it next (laughs) we had our name down on the list first yeah but then neither of us in this group would get married so they got bumped to the top it's some weird australian loophole we're working on it we didn't marry the fucking random granddaughter (laughs) fuck so, yeah, and it must have been fucking hard to get him out. He was under concrete and shit. They did it anyway, though. It's good that they did it. They took the DNA and they tested it against Rachel's and it came back inconclusive. Formaldehyding a body apparently kills DNA after so many years. Of I didn't course know it does. That. I did not know <laughs> that. I thought, I thought you could just differentiate between the both of it. So you get no DNA, really. You get all the shit. But taxiderming a body does not. Yeah. So maybe <laughs> they had weird- the right idea. There's a weird Summerton man inside that guy's house with like marble eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should go talk to that guy. Go talk to the taxidermist. <laughs> they have incomplete DNA profile and they're hoping as technology advances that the Summerton man can be identified in the next few years. To me, this is, this isn't really a theory. It's just like more fact. You know what I mean? Like she obviously knew what he was doing and she has something to do with this fucking guy. Yeah. Now that we kind of think that she knows something, let's get into the, like the theory theories about this whole thing. So there's first theory is elaborate suicide. 
this is how they're framing this. Okay. This isn't how I frame this, but this is how they're framing this. This guy gets all dressed up, (laughs) rips out the favorite part of his favorite book, rolls it up, sews it in his pants uh, as a weird suicide note, because remember Temum Shud means it is finished or it is ended. Even though most times, if you're going to make a suicide note, you'd want them to be found, not hidden inside of pants. Cool. Got all this together, rips out the tags except the ones that say keen in two different ways drops the joke clothes off at the Adelaide trade station and buys a train ticket to his favorite beach. Cause I guess he's just trying to prank everyone now with his clothes uh, gets to the beach. Maybe this is where he gets his pay pasty 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 pasty. I did it. Goes to his favorite spot in his beach, drinks his favorite poison that he got from his girlfriend his or whomever. Girlfriend. Baby yep. mama. Baby mama. Yeah. Yep. Tries to smoke his last ciggy and just dies there. Uh, this guy's eyes, in this guy's eyes, this would be paradise. You know, you got all the fun things you like to do and just kill yourself. Uh, cool, I guess. I, I just tried to like look into why he would do that. Why would anybody kill yourself? Okay. In- yeah. If I was going to do it, I would absolutely do it like this gentleman. Like if I had tapped out, like, you know, that guy who hid that treasure, that chest of treasure that I think you guys. Forrest Forrest Fenn, yeah. 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 Like why do all of that crap? Like it, it's the power play, right? Like if I was him and I felt powerless in my actual life, I would absolutely do everything I possibly could to fuck up a generation of people trying to figure it out with no rhyme or reason for what I'm doing just to be an asshole yeah i get that like that's what i'm saying it's it's interesting that people think this but i mean here's still gonna be talking about me in 2075 when they're trying to figure out why the fuck i drew a penis on the back of my favorite book and then sewed it into my pants (laughs) (laughs) she was a lesbian hey man that's a good that's a motive no yeah maybe she was a lesbian i don't know but probably not because there's more to her coming up no Um, i'm a lesbian I thought you meant Jessica Joe like realized fuck this guy she was a lesbian and then he kills himself because she got rejected. No, no, no. I'm a lesbian and I'm going to draw a penis in my pocket, sew it into my pocket. I'm going to wear something that I'd never wear normally. I would wear like a tutu. Well, no, for me, yeah, for me it'd be something like a ballerina dress. (laughs) She's wearing a ballerina dress, but her feet aren't mounted. And she's got a penis sewed into a tutu fold, <laughs> which sounds very dirty, tutu fold. <laughs> but it's not. And then it just fucked people up. But she was gay. She was married to a woman. Why has she got a penis sewn to the inside of her tutu fold? Bojangles, the dancing dyke on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's my dancing name. That's a unique name. <laughs> yeah, so that's one of the reasons people say he committed suicide because he was rejected by Jess. He was just he wanted he had a kid. She didn't really want him around. She actually kind of met another guy, you know. So he probably came back into her life. He just wasn't. She wasn't having it. So he just killed himself. Or here's a here's an interesting thing that I thought was a little crazy. There was another suicide. Uh, similar to this one in Australia around the same time in 1945. What? Yeah. On May 21st, 1945, George Marshall, a quote unquote price investigator. I don't even know what the fuck that is. A price investigator. You're going to have to inform me on that, Australia. Oh, sounds made up. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, 
he, he committed suicide in Ashton Park. I don't know where that is. It's it's close to Summerton Beach, but I don't know where exactly that is in like with kilometers or miles. I'm sorry. After he committed suicide, he found a couple days later by a hiker with poison nearby and a copy of the Rubiat on his chest. He was also well-dressed when found. Many similarities, not exactly the same, but like the Rubiat's a pretty fucking rare book in 1948 or 1945. Uh, although it was popular during after World War II with the Australians for some reason. I couldn't figure out why I just said it was popular in 1940 after World War II. But yeah, so he killed himself with the Rubiat. This guy killed himself with a chunk of the Rubiat, both well-dressed, both in weird beach areas. And this guy here, they saw the poison in his hand. So like they know it was a suicide. So maybe it was just something elaborate like that. Maybe he inspired stone mason. <laughs> stone mason. Or whatever Mason's? it is. Free, Free no, Mason. stone ma- Free no, Masons. No, fuck from the Simpsons. The stone cutters. Stone cutters. Stone cutters. Stone cutters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, from the, <laughs> the stone cutters. He was part of a ritualistic. Maybe it's the Freemasons back in whatever they looked like at 1945. It explained the uh, weird etchings in the back of the. Not Freemasons. No, but stone cutters. So the free cutters or the stone masons. <laughs> Maybe. What do you guys think about suicide? I think it's horseshit. Suicide's not what happened here. Yeah, I don't no. think. yeah, I think suicide is out. Yeah, if you do that, you're a fucking coward. Nah, you're all bullshit. You're all shit full of shit. It was 100% suicide. You think it was? You think it was a suicide? Yeah. And RJ thinks suicide is for cowards. So I, I didn't understand the question. <laughs> do you that think this a- guy committed suicide that's the real question um it seems like it to me i don't, I don't have a better no i think there's okay. nothing here that points directly to suicide not even the identical death that was definitely a su- or or maybe what's an obvious suicide is actually an elaborate murder so mm-hmm. it goes both ways so exactly cross. so we'll we'll I'll, I'll let you revise your answer to this after i go through a few more things so next thing you're this is your question the next theory is for rick it's alfred boxall knows something so if you guys can't remember boxall is the guy that jess joe gave the copy of the ruby at you apparently he was in military intelligence at the time he was said to have met jessica in 1978 a TV interview with Stuart Littlemore. Boxall is questioned on this topic. Did you ever tell her anything about your life in Intel? Boxall denies telling her anything. What he said was, I didn't say anything to her. So if someone did, it wasn't me. Meaning he was actually in intelligence. Seems pretty suspect to me that this guy knows a little bit more than what he's letting on, especially if he's in Intel. Now they say this guy here was actually like in the... If you look at fine photos of Boxall or whatever, he was in like an auxiliary unit and and there's lots of pictures of him in the military, but he says he was in intelligence, but there's no record of him being in intelligence. So whatever it was, it was pretty high classified. Back in 1948, that would have been like just the early starting of the Australian Secret Intelligence Organization. The only thing that they had prior to that was the Allied Intelligence Bureau that really started up because of the Cold War. Yeah. Um, So there is a good chance that it would have been pretty secret back then and not really advertised the thing is he met her uh, just after world war ii it wasn't like he met her in 48 when he got the book was like three or four years before the death so he was doing something they just don't really want to tell you what it is that's all uh, to, he was in military intelligence i believe that so yeah. was this girl meeting up with dudes in intelligence for some reason you know what i mean she's giving out the same book to two different guys it's fucking weird so my my theory is actually that alfred boxel boxel whatever was the unknown man's handler 
was meeting with him for some reason. I don't know the exact reason. I'm thinking something to do with the Arab-Israeli war. Um, the way that he writes the T in Tikin kind of looks like Hebrew. So there is, you know, rationale that he could somehow be um, Israeli and his first language would be Hebrew. So he would be writing like that. Um, and then a nurse, I mean, she could have just as easily been involved in um, the military or the intelligence game if she was working in Australia or if she was in Australia around that time. So one second, what writing are you talking about that has looks like on Israeli. his shirt? So if you look at the T, it's not really on a his tea. shirt. On his shirt. Yeah, they found his belongings in uh, uh, briefcase. Oh, the, the, uh, yes, the T keen. You mean? Yeah, I don't. Okay. I don't think that was actually like. Nor I. I mean, I, I obviously don't know what name they were trying to write, but it doesn't look like a T based on all the other letters. I haven't figured out the code yet, but the code mm -hmm. is there's there's a pretty big theory right now that all those letters mean absolutely nothing, but that there's micro letters hidden inside the letters. That it was just a. Which is why that M looks so weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's also theories, though, that it's like a number station. You know what a number station is? That's how you decode this, okay? So he gets you these old radio stations, like these long-range fucking ham radio stations. They still have them to this day. You can look up number stations. And they just show random beeps and bops or whatever the fuck is going on. It could be one, two, three four five six it could be just anything but it's all random and no one knows what it is so they think this is ways of uh spies communicating overseas and you're the only way you know how to answer this is with whatever your cipher is so they think this is could be a number station him just listening to the radio writing down letters could be a, a bunch of different things but so so my guess my guess is that that book was a code book um, that she somehow had a connection with whomever was running it, probably because mm -hmm. it was the early days of Australian secret intelligence. It was probably some sort of link to the, the Allied Intelligence Bureau. So either the UK or the US, she was the go between. She gave them both the book, had her phone number, kind of like a just in case type of thing. It really wasn't supposed to point back to her. Um, I don't know why he ripped the thing out. Excuse me. Then why yes. would they put, why would he or she put her name, actual name in the front of the other book? They probably thought that it was a reasonable cover that they could just get away with it. She actually, she actually did not put her name. She put Justin. That's how they got her pseudonym. J-E-S-T-Y-N. Right. You have to remember though, this was the, like the early days of spying. Like 1940s was like everyone just starting to figure out how espionage really worked. So it wasn't like they did it well. They didn't realize things not to do. It wasn't people thought things could be, you know, the idea was once you send a radio wave out, if they're not listening immediately, it's gone forever. Nowadays, it's not like that, right? Like you put something on the internet, it can be found hundreds of times again, but it wasn't like that back then. So I think it was, you have to, you, you can't really think about it. Like, why would they do that? That seems so dumb, but really what you have to, is like, you have the weird code, you have the multiple books, but everyone tried to act coy, right? Like it just doesn't, it doesn't add up yeah. to the reasoning behind it and i don't know my, my guess is that he was you know somehow involved in something that the uh, uh australia cared about which means something that the us and the uk cared about because really that's just how the allied bureau worked at the time i'll get into why the next series guys a spy killed off by spy friends with super spy poison i know it's an oversimplification <laughs> that sounds about right let's go through it so after world war ii the australian government had beef had to beef up its espionage to counteract the soviet espionage espionage that was going on it was cold war so there's spies everywhere there's many strategically important places that a spy would be interested near somerton beach right there's a military research facility uh on one side that was a british anglo like a british and australian 
research facility, re military research facility. On one side, there was also a uranium mine within a reasonable distance of Summerton Beach as well. Both of these places, just those two places alone would be very interesting to a Soviet spy at the time. Maybe he was made, maybe he committed suicide to prevent this. Who knows? Not a terrible theory, but there's a lot of facts that support this. The clothes having the tags ripped out, that indicates spy to me because it's almost impossible to figure out where someone's from or where they bought their clothes if there's no tags in there. You can't match up shit, but without tags. The codes in the book, all that stuff screams spy to me. Even the Tamim Shud should, could be spy shit, like you were saying, mm. right? It could be some sort of code that was in his pants for the next guy who found him. Who the fuck knows? Some people were even suggesting that the poison was administered through his tobacco. And that's why they had the weird different kinds of cigarettes in the cigarette box. Or that could be another code. Like that could be another, like, cause the, the cigarettes were in the wrong box, right? And there were more expensive cigarettes. Like if we're thinking about the time of the time that it was, they would have used much more like to, to get to his point, they would have been using things that were very common to them. And everybody always had some cigarettes on them at that point in time. So if someone found the body and found it is finished and the certain of the expensive cigarettes, it could have meant something else. So I will say for, so just to like clarify what I'm thinking, who is who handler is the guy who's like actually works for the government spy is a person who just gets paid money to do something, right. Doesn't actually have any real connections. So I'm thinking the unknown, unknown man is a spy. Normally when you look at spies, you're looking for somebody who has some sort of vulnerabilities, right? Somebody that wants money, somebody that's embarrassed by something, somebody that, the Russians blackmail, right? Something that there's a reason that they want to spy because, right? If I went to Richard right now and I was like, I'll give you money to go commit crimes. He's not going to just like jump in. There has to be a reason. Well, I mean, no, motivation. Really wants money, you right? Motivate right. There has to be some sort of motivation. A lot of the spies, if you look over the years in the history of spies, they have a huge ego. So they care about what types of cigarettes they're smoking. So if they get their hands on an expensive pack of cigarettes, they'll stuff it with cheapos for years to come just so that they look like they're this well-off wealthy guy and can stroll into bars and stuff yeah, like that. It's the right? reverse though. It's the reverse. It's the reverse. Of the I think, I think so it, right, I mean, it I, could have been, he bumped expensive ones off and just stuffed them into what he had. Right. Like he was being bribed by, well, not bribed, but like being partly paid in cigarettes by his handler, things like that. Right. Like, I, I think there's a lot to this, but I think let's get into it a little bit more. The, the nurse, Jessica Joe is the next theory that she's also a spy or a handler or something to that extent. There's a lot of evidence that goes along with this too. So Jessica John, uh, Thompson, she had more than one kid. She didn't just have Robin. She actually got married to another guy and had another kid. Later on, her name is Kate Thompson. And she did an interview with 60 Minutes Australia in 2013. She was my boss. I know this is a lie, but I mean, did you have a boss named Kate Thompson? Yep. That was the Summerton man's fucking daughter? Okay. Don't know. Did she get married to a weird professor? No. <laughs> Kate told 60 Minutes that her mother, Jessica, was always said that she knew who the Somerset man was and couldn't say anything. Jessica also <laughs> apparently taught Ru English to Russian immigrants and was very much a communist sympathizer. She would one time Kate heard her mom talking on the phone and she was talking in Russian. And the kids were like, what the fuck? That's super weird. Didn't even know that she knew Russian. Like they knew that she taught, right? Like at the time when she said it, they knew later on that she taught Russian. But like as a kid, they're like, my mom's speaking a weird language. Wow. So I, I think they're both spies. They just couldn't say who it was because of however that went down. It could be like the guy was yeah. made or he did something wrong and had to get killed for it or whatever. Right. And like I said, she was also a nurse, 
So she had access to all the rare poisons, like you guys said. The poisons that the doctor couldn't say out loud because that's how dangerous they were. The unused ticket that was in his pocket was the closest train station to Jessica's house. Jessica's house was very close to Summerton Beach, like a four minute walk. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Close enough for the man to have left Jessica's house on foot to make it where he was. Uh, Even saw reports that the man was seen knocking on Jessica's door earlier in the day before he died. I don't know how, I only saw that in like one article. So I don't know how accurate that is. She wasn't home or didn't answer the door and he just left. Yeah. Oh, sorry. The reason I don't trust this is what I wrote down here. The reason I don't trust this is because this report of him seeing the guy knocking on her door was like weeks after it already been in the press for fucking months. You know what I mean? Like it was weeks after everyone was talking about the summer to Max. This is a pretty big case for like yeah. 10 years. Okay. Yeah. I changed my theory too. You guys, you guys ever see the Americans? Yes. Okay. So that's based on completely true story. Um, more modernized version of what happened with the Russian illegals, but the Russians have been doing that for a very long time where they'll yeah. send people overseas and they'll slowly integrate themselves into the lifestyle. So my guess is the unknown man and this Jessica Thompson were both assigned and living together as a married couple this uh, Thompson eventually had an affair with this Alfred person who they were supposedly be recruiting, right? Trying to slowly get him to give secrets um, against the Australian government. Um, dude got jealous and I'm now going to actually side with suicide. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, but all wrapped into a nice little Russian illegal bow. Yeah, I, I, I don't know where. I know Jessica has something to do with it, but I, I also think like suicide's possible. I just don't think it's, it is that. I think that may, more likely than not, he probably had a kid with Jessica and that, that wasn't part of the plan. You know, so he fucked up and people got rid of him for it. Uh, and then she just got to live her life and fucking raise the kids. Nah, I reckon I reckon he would have done it himself. If he, if he was trying to assimilate, like Gates was saying, then he could have realized that having a kid, he's completely fucked it up. He's got more to lose now. Okay, but in that scenario, why not kill the kid? Okay. A, wow. He's not a psychopath. No, but think about it. Think about it. If the no, no, no. I'm saying I'm from I'm I'm saying from a, a situation of you are a spy and your only job is to assimilate and you weren't supposed to have a child with this person. You're telling me that you don't think mission first that I need to get rid of the evidence. Yes. And, as, and aside from all that, is anybody here really going to act like they're surprised that Rick said that? Because, <laughs> what, because I'm just here, I'm, I'm not saying that I would do it. I'm speaking logically from his role. You just said that he went there and his only job was to assimilate. Right. And he hasn't done that. He's fallen in love with fallen in love. with. I think she's a, a Russian illegal as well. I, yeah, I, I, I hardly believe that. Yeah, I think they both are. I think they were assigned together, but they weren't supposed to fall in love. And that's a big thing. If you, I mean, if you watch the Americans, which is basically as close to the true story as they can release for the, the illegals, it's like, you know what I mean? It's the same idea. Like they're not supposed to fall in love, but they're supposed to act like they're a married couple. Yeah. But they actually did. And so that's now become bigger than mission, mission critical. And she probably didn't agree with it necessarily. She could have been saying we need to kill the kid or whatever. And then he's like, well, I'll let you and you and the kid. Cause the fact that he fell in love and had a kid, He's, he's saying that he's not a mission first type of person. Yeah. And you figure like, like, okay, let's, let's just 
think about a few other things. Ballet, Russian, very Russian, right? Like loved by Russians. This guy probably spoke, uh, was in ballet. But you figure if he was a ballet guy, which they think he was, okay, with his feet, you'd be able to find this fucking guy pretty easily, right? You'd be able to, like, there's can't be that many male ballet people that are that, like, in their 40s. Like, I don't know. It can't be that. have hobbies. I get that. Yeah. Not a famous ballet dancer. Yeah, I guess that's true. But I mean, you figure there'd be some way to like, there's not that many ballet studios. I mean, you could go to places and be like, do you know this guy? You know, so I I feel like it's Russian. He's got to be a fucking Russian. Like it could have been an underground ballet. Like (laughs) cabaret. No one talks about ballet ballet club. Yeah. Oh, damn. It's yeah. ballet club. That's good. And instead that's of soap, it's ribbons. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a whole thing. And like Two they gotta twos. keep, yeah, they Barely. gotta keep them real under. You under, hold them down and take a hammer to their feet so they fit in the shoes. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, you know, they said nice. that from the European Cinderella, they cut their bloody toes and and ankles off to try and fit into the boots. So they're capable of anything over there, really. Oh yeah, fuck yeah! I, I dedication exactly. Um, no, nah, we've solved it. Dig it. So it's I'm, it's ballet club. Is that what we're yeah. going with? Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm also I'm also going back with suicide again um, because I I didn't consider this before, but um, if I was in any year prior to 1995, I'd fucking kill myself. Um, <laughs> so it's 1948, and he's in Australia, and he's in Australia, like. I mean, like 1948 America, I think I could like probably skate by. Like we just oh won World War II God. and everything. But like, I didn't even, I didn't, wasn't aware they invented Australia prior to oh. 1973. Oh, sorry guys. I've and broken my leg. I'm just going to go and get it fixed for free. Sorry. Yeah, that's cool. Are you going to be able to buy a shotgun on the way? Listen, think we so. don't, yeah. we don't know that this guy didn't try that option first and it failed. I'm going to go down the street and spend $2 on nine pounds of chicken. (laughs) Which is why your country's a beast. We're all pretty much in agreement. This fucking guy's a spy or spy adjacent in some way. He's a spy, but due due to, I mean, the fuckiness of what was the forties, it's so convoluted that you're never going to, you're never going to, every side was fighting and there were so many players involved and there were no Mm. records kept. You're never going to figure out what side anyone worked for and who was doing what and who was the good guy and who was, you know, the proverbial bad guy. And it, you're just yeah, never going to until you get all the information released from everybody who was involved, you would know, you'll never know the truth. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard to even like investigate it, too, because who knows what they're doing in Australia when you got to embalm someone, you call a taxidermist when you got to investigate a crime, doc, detective lean or whatever is probably a bus driver who the fuck knows mm-hmm. right so uh yeah well you're not always investigating crime you gotta have a side hustle Don't be <laughs> well ridiculous. i mean nowadays when you want to try and investigate this stuff you know there's real phone records and like gps coordinates from your phone and like you can actually dig shit up this there's you know what, what the fuck are you gonna do like figure out where he bought his juicy fruit you know what i mean like yeah fuck his juicy fruit gum gum he had in his pocket American uh, gum. <laughs> yeah, but Juicy Fruit was sold all over the delicious. world by 1948. Yeah. Unlike pieces of cake with corn and peas in it or some bullshit. <laughs> a pasty. The pasty, the pasty is the real bad guy in this. 
That's why your you posse, oh, I, I your posse is almost the same content as a Domino's bread bowl here. Yeah. I figured it out. I know exactly what it is. He went to go find some like food and all he could find was a posse, ate it and went, you know what? I hate my life now. Boom. I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He bit into a donut and was like, what is this fucking celery? What so the it- fuck is this bland veggie <laughs> bullshit? <laughs> I am <Yeah>. out. <laughs> or, or the actual pasty killed him. That's why they couldn't figure out where the poison was or anything. I wouldn't put it past the man. Like, it depends how long it was sitting in that warm <laughs> It was 1948, so. Richard, did you watch the nine-minute video of them talking about this guy probably being a spy, getting picked up and interrogated interrogated and injected with sodium penthol? Yeah, Richard, uh, did you? Okay, wait. Yeah, Richard. <laughs> which guy? What are you talking about? About the, the unknown guy. man. Did you hear That's... about the, the dead guy getting picked up and like in, and people claimed he was interrogated and then like injected with truth serum? Yeah, there's there's a lot of dumb shit like there's that. There's a lot of shit out here like, on this guy. You could go on Reddit and lose yourself for a day on this guy. Just yeah, this guy. I will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think I we should just uh wrap up and go with whatever Rick says because whenever he talks this much, he's absolutely right. <laughs> there's, there's, he's put far too much thought power behind this to not yeah, be correct. He, he hasn't put a made a video where somebody's mashing together with someone else. So <laughs> I don't know. The problem is that you we I, I'm not confident that I have the right answer, but you know that there was some sort of spy shit involved. Agree. You just don't know so, what, right? I agree. I agree with Getz. I think that they were. I were. I think that they were sent over here. They were supposed to assimilate. They fell in love. They had a baby. They knew that they shouldn't have fallen in love. And because, like Getz was saying, there was some form of embarrassment, blackmail, insert thing here. One of them, or both of them, or all three of them, were going to get killed. So he just offed himself. Good. There you go. We solved it for you. Fuck, we did it. Perfect. No, I solved it. No, no, we did. We did. We did that. (laughs) We did all that. We did all that. I just watched Private Dicks, and I think RJ's the funniest. What? Come on. Hey there, all you private dickheads. That's probably not the name we're gonna stick with. Anyways, uh, RJ here. I am here to tell you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Private Dicks. If you liked what you heard, go on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere they take your reviews, drop us five stars, say something nice. Also, what you just heard was from last season. If you want current episodes as they're dropped, head on over to patreon.com and search up Unethical Podcast. That's our mother podcast. I was not aware Private Dicks was a spinoff. I'm going to renegotiate my contract. On Patreon is a full 16-episode season more of Private Dicks, uncut videos of each episode, and many more things are getting added all the time. You can also find all of Unethical's content on there, so go listen to that. And if you're already a patron, fuck yeah, dude. You're the best. Um, I'm not sure if this is more appropriate for private dicks or unethical, um, but I'd really just like someone to prove whether or not Christy really is from Australia. Uh, I know that she says she is and uh, talks with an accent and has all these stories from Australia, but we don't really know that she is a verified expert. Um, And I really just worry because she gives up her opinion a lot, uh, especially when it comes to the great uh, emu war. 
So if we could just dig into that a little bit, I really appreciate it. Thanks.